Welcome back to another episode of Mormon Traditionalist Podcast. My name is Jaron O'Driscoll, and I am your host. So glad to be back with you today, folks. Life's been hectic the last few months, and I love being able to sit down in front of the mic and share my thoughts and feelings with you guys. Glad I got to see a few of you and say hello at the Book of Mormon Evidence Conference. Uh, that event really snuck up on me this time. I didn't even get a chance to promote it. It was great, though. What Rod Meldrum is doing with that event is really incredible. It's a really great time. Uh, so let's get into the topic today. I have been preparing this episode in my mind for months. It's something that's been weighing heavy on my heart and mind for a while now. You see, I started this podcast because I saw how the evil of progressivism has infiltrated our church culture. I've been aware of how it's affecting our nation and the world for a long time. But when I started seeing those patterns being applied to church history and doctrine, I really felt the need to make people aware of that. Because there's a huge movement pushing back against that politically as it pertains to the world and America, but not many standing up and defending the church from the progressive infiltration that's been happening. And I followed that political path for a long time, and one unsettling thing that I found is that progressivism is not exclusive to the liberal mindset or the Democratic Party. I talked about that some in episode 5. I used to think the real problem is liberalism. Those dang libs were ruining our country. And I used to think those lines translated well in the church as well, and even in Christianity in general. But what I found is that it's progressivism that is the problem, not liberalism. And it's no different in the church. There are plenty of church members who would have abortions legal up to nine months, no questions asked, taxpayer-funded, on-demand, that would take away any God-given agency if it saved just one life. And plenty of so-called conservatives would do the same. Mitt Romney is a shining example of that. The Doctrine of Christ group. They would stand with most traditionalists on political issues and topics. Many espouse sentiments of agency and liberty and likely vote for the same folks that we tend to vote for. But their stance on Brigham Young and the succession of priesthood keys puts them squarely in line with progressive revisionists that want to rewrite our history. Many are even heartland believers and would be in direct opposition to some of the more obvious progressives like those pushing the Meso theory for the Book of Mormon. Case in point, you might remember that I called out Hannah Syriac, a journalist that wrote an article claiming that heartlanders were white supremacists. I stand by my stance that she is a progressive. But guess what? She also wrote an article about the Doctrine of Christ group and their stupid movie about who really killed Joseph Smith. She actually took them on and debunked the claims of the movie and the movement. And I stand with her on that. But guess what? At the beginning of the article, she claimed that people who follow this line of thinking also call themselves what? Among other names? That's right, traditionalists. She's lumping us in with those people. I hope you see the reality of what's going on here, folks. The lines are not neatly defined. If we want to determine if someone has fallen prey to the enticings of the adversary and adopts his morals, we can't simply look at their political party lines. So I want to talk today about what it means to me to be a traditionalist of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you ever want to share this show with someone that you think might be interested, and want to just give them a synopsis of the message and mission of the show and what it's all about, then this is the episode to share. This is where I stand. First of all, I believe that to be a traditionalist is to transcend political party lines. 
if you remember, I did a two-part series with Jonathan Neville on the Book of Mormon translation. And something he said then, and I've heard him say since, is that we should stop applying the lens of politics to the Book of Mormon translation and the Book of Mormon heartland theory. I completely agree with Jonathan on this, and his statements have helped shape my view of all this. And Jonathan and I probably disagree on a lot of things politically. But he himself has said that he knows many people from every political background and standing, and they all agree on the Heartland model. We can't let the inclination of the natural man cause us to throw the baby out with the bathwater because of someone's political beliefs. Generally, yes, traditionalists, including myself, tend to have conservative values. But I'm not on board with every single political issue that conservatives are. Most all of our values align, but not all of them. Namely, making things like psilocybin and cannabis illegal. I'm not on board with that. Because of that, I don't like throwing my lot in with that moniker of conservative necessarily, even though I share most of the conservative values. And so I'll even go a step further than Jonathan and say that we can't simply associate ourselves with any particular person or movement based off of their actual or perceived political beliefs. Morality and truth comes only from God through his chosen servants, the scriptures, and our own personal revelation. That is where morality comes from, not from any political party. We need to put party affiliations aside and focus on truth and morality as given by and through our Father in heaven. And that brings us to the beginning. To me, being a traditionalist puts the war in heaven at the forefront of every moral decision we make. What we fought for there we should be fighting for here. God wanted agency at the cost of guaranteed salvation for all. Satan wanted guaranteed salvation for everyone at the cost of our agency. Everyone who has come to this earth once fought for equal opportunity over guaranteed outcomes. Equality over equity. And in my eyes, liberty over life. We need to hold this as the standard when making any moral decision and determine which we would have been fighting for in the pre-earth life. Are we letting our desire for others to be taken care of override our desire for everyone to have their agency? Are we justifying our desire for a woman to choose to justify murder? Are we defending the use of heavy taxation for the greater good of taking care of our fellow men? Or maybe forcing people to put substances into their bodies to protect the masses? It is never okay to sacrifice the agency and liberty for safety and security. As Benjamin Franklin said, those who give up a little freedom for a little security deserve neither and will inevitably lose both. We have to recognize the face of the adversary's movement when we see it. Communism and socialism are at the forefront of that, with democratic socialism being the common deception today. But they're all the same progressive monster. I highly recommend reading Cleon Skousen's The Naked Communist and The Naked Socialist that his son finished writing for his father after Cleon passed away. Those books, those books lay out the way that the adversary works through political channels and government today. And it is our obligation, yes, obligation to root out and reveal the work the adversary is doing, even when we have to point out the ideology. Uh, the group, or even the person who's doing it, whether they know they are serving the adversary or not. And Joseph Smith said, Therefore, that we should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all the hidden things of darkness, 
wherein we know them, and they are truly manifest from heaven. These should then be attended to with great earnestness. Let no man count them as small things, for there is much which lieth in futurity pertaining to the saints, which depends upon these things. There's an old saying that says, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. We don't hide. We don't lie low. We don't try to appease both sides to appear as centrists to make everybody happy. Standing for truth in the last days is going to be tough. We can't afford to let the opinions of the masses and what is popular dictate what we stand for and are willing to tolerate or accept. Which obviously is much easier said than done. But as DNC 2717 says, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And we all know the scripture in Helaman 5, Yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Part of that rock we build upon is the Constitution of the United States. This document is more key and important than even most members that call themselves patriots realize. God is literally the author of the Constitution, folks. Listen closely to this. This is DNC section 101, verses 77 to 80. Here goes. 77, according to the laws and constitution of the people, which I have suffered to be established, this is the Lord speaking here, and should be maintained for the rights and protection of all flesh, according to just and holy principles. 78, that every man may act in doctrine and principle pertaining to futurity, according to the moral agency which I have given unto him, that every man may be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. 79, therefore it is not right that any man should be in bondage one to another. And then in 80, and for this purpose have I established the constitution of this land by the hands of wise men whom I raised up unto this very purpose, and redeemed the land by the shedding of blood. God is the author here, folks. This is coming from his mouth. He prepared the founding fathers. Is it any wonder that progressives attack and smear both the Constitution and the founding fathers? Now, DNC section 98, verses 5 to 7. And that law of the land, which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom in maintaining rights and privileges, belongs to all mankind and is justifiable before me. So the laws of the Constitution are a standard for the world, all mankind. Verse 6, Therefore I, the Lord, justify you and your brethren of my church in befriending that law which is the constitutional law of the land. Not any law of the land, the constitutional law of the land. Don't let anyone get away with the out-of-context generic law of the land argument to justify legalized tyranny. Legality is not synonymous with morality. Verse 7, And as pertaining the law of man, whatsoever is more or less than this cometh of evil. Laws outside of the Constitution, which was prepared by the hand of God himself, are evil. Period. And to seal the deal in verse 11, he says, And I give unto you a commandment that ye shall forsake all evil and cleave unto all good, that ye shall live by every word which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. Recap. 
God instituted the Constitution as a set of parameters for government. He prepared the Founding Fathers to accomplish it. He justifies us in befriending the Constitution, not defaming it. He declares that stepping outside the bounds of the Constitution is evil, and we are to forsake all evil. And progressives are the ones fighting tooth and nail to smear the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. Wake up, folks. This means you're going to have to be okay being different, because it's not the popular opinion to have about the Constitution. And you're going to have to have a stronger foundation than others because of it. You might lose friends. You'll certainly make enemies. You might even get pushback from family. Just remember that the right path is almost never the easy path. So let those challenges and struggles be a confirmation and a comfort to you that you're doing what is right. The adversary doesn't place his resources where they aren't needed. Next is recognizing Joseph Smith as God's chosen prophet to restore the fullness of the gospel in the last days. That means God chose him to do this work. He didn't prepare him through the use of occultic magic and all the other BS that progressives like to pin on him with their own magical powers of scholarly hindsight. And if God chose Joseph for such an important task to pave the way for his people in the last days, then it stands to reason that, in Joseph's own words, there is no error in the things I have taught. Which means what he taught about the remnant of the Lamanites being the Native American tribes is also true, that the plains of the Midwest were, as he said, the plains of the Nephites. And as Joseph said, that America, not the Americas, is the covenant land. For this reason, to me, being a traditionalist also means being a heartlander. I won't get any further down that trail because this show will run long if I do. We will have Rod Meldrum on the show to talk about that in depth in the future, though. But uh, suffice it to say, though, it, it happened here. Not north and south, not central, but the heartland of North America. That north-south quote from Joseph, by the way, that was the Civil War north and south, not continents north and south. He's talking about the Union in the north and the Confederacy in the south. That's what he means by north and south. Sorry, I had to go ahead and get that one out because I could just hear the angry screams of some Meso person yelling through their screen at me. So then not only do we believe Joseph Smith was the restored prophet, but that the keys of the church were passed on to Brigham Young and every other prophet down to Russell M. Nelson today. This is where we split doctrinally from the Doctrine of Christ group. They tear down Brigham Young, saying that he instituted polygamy and that Joseph never practiced it. To be a traditionalist is to accept that Joseph taught and practiced celestial plural marriage, which is very different from basic polygamy. And that practice was ordered and ordained of God for a special eternal purpose. We don't hide or run from it because it's nothing to be ashamed of. We don't need to try and make excuses or explain it away. And regardless of what anyone says about Brigham Young or his character, he was ordained of God to his position, and the same is true of every prophet that followed down to Russell M. Nelson, regardless of what anyone says of them. And even though we at times disagree with church policy or corporate types of decisions, we continue to sustain the prophet because regardless of policy decisions made by the church, the prophet, first presidency, and quorum of the twelve are called of God and specifically chosen for this time. We believe in the exercise of agency of all men and don't condemn them. We are not accusers of the brethren, as President Uchtdorf said Satan is. If we have a disagreement with decisions made by the church and its leaders, we can pray and receive personal revelation about the truth. And whatever that answer is, we continue to sustain them 
support them and look to them for guidance and counsel, and particularly the prophet, because he is the medium that the Lord has chosen to give guidance through to his church in the last days. We don't let decisions they make or stances they take regarding government or church policies get in the way of the fact that agency is given to all and God cannot stop anyone from exercising it and that they are God's chosen servants for a specific purpose at a specific time. We don't go down that road of fallen prophets and all the nonsense like the Doctrine of Christ people and other groups do. There is no cognitive dissonance as they like to claim. We just don't have such weak testimony and understanding of God's plan that we can't believe two things are true at once. That we can disagree with the brethren and that they are still called of God. And a question that I've seen pop up is, do you think they know what they're doing? How will they react when the truth is undeniable and unavoidable? My response is, does it really matter? Should the correct answer to those questions determine whether or not we sustain them as God's chosen servants? Absolutely not. We focus inwards, not outwards. We focus on our journey and working towards the salvation and exaltation of us and our family as we travel down the covenant path. We look to and study the words of past prophets of our dispensation. We don't hide from the teachings of men like Ezra Taft Benson, Joseph F. Smith, and others who progressives today like to slander as extremists and many church members even ignore to avoid controversy. We don't hide that President Benson was unapologetically critical of communism, socialism, and the worldly progressive ideologies that have infiltrated the hearts of men today. That he and others called out evil to its face and urged us to do the same. The words of the prophets don't die with them. The teachings of the current prophet will not be in opposition to prophets past. Their message stands even if that message is not being spoken at the pulpit today. We don't let ourselves be short-sighted. We study it all, hiding from none of it, knowing that any question or doubt we have has a faith-building answer, not a faith-degrading one. Now, I want to circle back around to the war in heaven. It's crucial to know where we came from and what we fought for in the pre-earth life so we know how to continue the fight here. But to what end? The journey has to have an end goal that we keep in the forefront of our mind. That goal is exaltation, to become gods and goddesses, to create our own worlds, have our own spirit children. How many of us have that as the conscious goal in everything we do? This life is a proving ground for us as gods in training. And of course, we won't reach perfection. Yes, it is a process that will continue long after this mortal existence. But do we use that as an excuse to slack off from our ability and our potential to emulate everything our Heavenly Father embodies in our own personal development? Do we have a drive to be better in our business, our job, our family, our relationships, our scripture study and knowledge of the gospel? To me, part of being a traditionalist is to have a drive to emulate him in all these aspects of life, not just casually go through the motions. Personal development and success in every facet of life helps us get closer to obtaining perfection and becoming like our Father in Heaven. Are we striving to take care of our bodies, eat right, and get in good physical condition? You think God doesn't have an impressive physique? Are we striving to be the type of boss or business owner that strives to create more value to the world and provide more jobs for others to support their families? You can do the very best even as an employee. You just have to have the right attitude. If you hate what you do for work, are you trying to be the very best you can possibly be at it still? Or just doing the minimum to get by because it's not your favorite thing in the world? Are you working hard to teach your children proper principles? Or just 
pawning that responsibility off to government school teachers and primary teachers? How hard are you striving for the type of independence that our Father in Heaven has achieved? We know that the Atonement makes up for our imperfections and should always remember that. But we should also be pushing ourselves to pursue the best version of ourselves possible in this life. Some closing thoughts and points here before we wrap up. To me, a traditionalist is someone who knows the power and importance of personal revelation. We diligently seek it for ourselves and for our families and heed that guidance. We are the antithesis to progressivism. We put the scriptures and the words of the prophets before theories and learning of men, scholarly types in particular, which means that we should turn to the scriptures to teach our children, not progressive worldly scholars. And our children's education is our responsibility as parents, not the government. It means not running from, avoiding, or being ashamed of our history, but instead having a love for that history, for the people who built this church up, their stories, and their culture. It means having a personal love and connection with our pioneer and early church ancestors, and a deep appreciation for their faith, hard work, and sacrifice. It means being consistent in applying the principles of the war in heaven and the Constitution to worldly issues. So forget the titles and labels, conservative, Republican, liberal, Democrat, left and right. A traditionalist of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is someone who looks to God, the Restoration, the Book of Mormon, and the teachings of the prophets to determine what is truth and what is right. In my view, every moral problem that arises today, whether it's culturally, spiritually, or, or morally, can be resolved and the truth found by looking to these principles. That's it for this episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm actually expanding the podcast to address more of the issues facing our nation and the world at large, politics, etc., and how these traditionalist values that we've been talking about here should be applied to the problems facing the church as the last days seem to be coming more and more to a head by the day. Understanding the truths of the Gospel and the Book of Mormon are in need of modern application now more than ever. We've been warned by the prophets, both ancient and modern, of what's on the horizon, and I think we're very much asleep to that right now. But more on that in a future episode. Remember, you can email your questions, comments, and hate mail to mormontraditionalist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at mormontraditionalist and on my Mormon Traditionalist Facebook page for additional content. And until next time, remember, never back down from the truth. <laughs>